Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Let's be honest, the first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we're discussing getting rich slowly and dealing with money anxiety with J.D. Roth. Yeah, Joel, today's guest is personal finance writer J.D. Roth, who started his blog, Get Rich Slowly, in the in the early years of the internet, right? This is back in 2006. Well, it's a long time ago. I think uh, Facebook had just launched as well. So it was J.D. and Mark. Two heavy hitters early on. <laughs> but it's grown to be one of the most well-respected personal finance sites around, thanks to his superb writing and his desire to serve his readers. Oh, and he's also a, a huge Taylor Swift fan. That's important. <laughs> uh, JD, does that make you a Swifty? Uh, it does make me a Swifty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you were if you're that committed, but I'm glad to hear you are. But thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, man. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Oh, JD, we're so glad to have you today. Uh, seriously, yeah, your site's been around a long time and it's helped so many people. And there's a lot of wisdom in there that we can't wait to kind of unpack and get out of your brain for our listeners today on the show. And by the way, JD, every week on the show, we drink a beer, uh, a craft beer, because Matt and I, for us, it's really important to prioritize the here and now, prioritize something that we value uh, today while we're trying to be intentional and safe for the future. So our first question to every guest is, what's your splurge? What is J.D. Ross craft beer equivalent? Well, it might be craft beer. Oh, that's we love to <laughs> no, hear that. No, I actually have a better answer, but uh, I, I was drinking a local... I live in Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon has a lot of craft beer. Yes, you do. So I was just drinking some craft beer earlier, although right now I'm drinking my favorite scotch whiskey, 10-year Ardbeg. I love that stuff. Oh, man. Matt's a big scotch fan too, by the way, so you guys can totally Excellent. nerd out on that. I've got a Excellent. bottle of Ardbeg literally just over to my right on the shelf. <laughs> and I don't generally drink it at 523 in the evening, which is what time <laughs> I am recording this podcast, but I am drinking it at 523 in the evening right now. Uh, no, my big splurge... I would say season tickets for the Portland Timbers uh, Major League Soccer team. I'm a huge fan. I've been a fan for, oh my gosh, do I have to do the math? 44 years? So, And and I know season tickets, you, you actually wrote about this at one point on your site, or, or I heard you talk about it somewhere. We, we knew that you love soccer, and Matt and I were huge soccer fans too. We actually moved the interview tonight we asked you and we knew you would understand as a, as a huge soccer fan because there's an important game for our atlanta united coming up later in the playoffs week. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right and the timbers just bombed out of the playoffs but all right i know sorry oh and I, we didn't want to uh rub it in but i think we will yeah i'm sorry about last year's final <laughs> oh that's right that's right you guys beat us 2-0 in the finals i forgot about that i kind of wiped it from my memory I know. I understand. So, so tell us your thoughts on being a season ticket holder for a major league soccer team. Like it's an expensive thing. So what drives you to actually maintain that expense in your life? Well, for me, it's something that I've been so passionate about for so long and I just love going to the games, but honestly, more and more, I can't justify the expense. Uh, you're right. I did write about this earlier this year. Uh, the tickets, uh, for 2020, I, I get two tickets. The combined price is going to be $2,700. I mean, that's $1,350 per seat divided by 17 games. I can't do the math off the top of my head. I, it's probably $70, $75 a game. But the games cost more than just that. It, it costs money to get up there. It costs money to park. It costs money if I want to drink craft beer at the game. <laughs> it costs $10.50 per beer, which is oh, wow. ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And so my girlfriend and I figure we spend about $200 per game combined, so $100 per person per game, and that's 17 games per season, 17 home games. It's been a splurge that I've been fine with. For for The Timbers came in in 2011, so next year will be the 10th year. I've been fine with it for that 10 years, but more and more I'm like, I don't know. What could I do with roughly $4,000, about $3,500, I guess? I feel like I could do so much more with that money. I mean, I could buy a cable package that let me watch the games, first of all, or I could just, when I wanted to see a game, I could go down to a local pub and drink craft beer and watch the game with uh, other fans. So for 2021, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, hopefully we didn't talk you out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I think I've been talking myself out of it okay. for months. Glad we can kind of share uh, in the fandom <laughs> there with you. 
JD, let's let's talk about money some. We want to start at the beginning, essentially. Um, you know, you've called yourself sort of an accidental personal finance expert. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you mean by that? Can you tell us uh, how you got into nerding out on personal finance information? Yeah. So when I say that I'm an accidental personal finance expert, I mean that I don't have any sort of formal training in this. I'm not an accountant. I don't have a finance degree. I'm not a certified financial planner. I, I didn't set out to be somebody who people went to for financial advice. Instead, uh, during the 1990s, I got myself deep in consumer debt with credit cards and car loans and mortgages. And I, I was really struggling. And so I, I decided I needed to get out of debt. I started reading all sorts of books like Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover and a, a book called Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez. And I read these books and I thought they, they all kind of said the same thing. They said there, there's no reliable way to get rich quickly but there is a reliable way to get rich slowly. And so I kind of took that to heart. And because I was a nerd, I'd been blogging for a number of years already. I always say that I've been blogging since before blog was even a word. <laughs> I started in 1997. And uh, in 2006, I started a website called getrichslowly.org. And I didn't expect anybody would read it. I was just going to document my own journey out of debt. But for whatever reason, I was in the right place at the right time. And I was able to connect with a lot of people and, and people liked what I was writing. It was helping other people get out of debt. So uh, over the course of the last 14 years, man, that's crazy. Uh, 13 and a half years. Let's call it 13 and a half. Uh, I've been uh, writing about personal finance, writing about getting out of debt. And then once I was out of debt, I started writing about building wealth. You know, your story is not terribly dissimilar to so many others in this space, JD, right? We, we go to a conference every year called FinCon and we, we meet all sorts of people who became passionate through personal experience more than anything. Mm -hmm. They began mm -hmm. to document their personal experience and then they began to share it. And then it became this kind of thing, this cathartic thing really to help them get through their own money struggles. And then guess what? It ended up helping other people be able to have someone to identify with, be able to kind of learn some lessons along the way and get, get rich slowly has has been able to do that, but then has gone even further. But when you were going through this process and when you were documenting kind of how you were trying to change your personal finances, well, what were some of the things that were tripping you up the most that made you realize that you needed to make a change? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. There were so many things. I, I'm a natural born spender. Uh, that's the first thing to understand. I'm not somebody who is naturally good with money. I have to force myself to be good with money. And I didn't have good role models in my parents. Both my mom and my dad were spenders. They were spenders in different ways, but they were spenders. And so I didn't have anybody to set a good example for me. I just, when I grew up, I thought if you had money, you spent it. For me, it was just a process with Get Rich Slowly of, of like telling my story and trying to tell other people's stories about how even if you're not good with money when you start, you can develop better habits. And the thing is, you don't have to be perfect. So much personal finance writing, I think, focuses on this like ideal as if we're robots. And they're like, oh, this is the way you need to do it. And if you don't do it this way, then you're doing it wrong. But uh, that's like an ideal world. And there's so much psychology and emotion involved with it that I think a lot of mainstream personal finance misses that. 
And so for me, I want to tell my story and tell other people's stories and share not only the things we do right, but how we stumble and how we fall and then how we recover from that. Well, JD, you mentioned how, right, you're, you were a spender, right? <laughs> you didn't do great things, you know, with your money, at least at the time. It makes me think back in the day, like how credit card companies, they used to set up a table for signups on, you know, on college campuses. Like specifically, right. I remember signing up for a new credit card and getting a pizza, <laughs> like right there on the spot. Wow. That's the worst signup bonus I've ever heard of, by the way. <laughs> Especially considering all the great ones out there now. Yeah. A pizza? Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> but JD, uh, do you have a, a story similar to share? Uh, I feel like I've read something about you doing something similar about signing up for a crappy giveaway <laughs> that you received. Yes, yes. Well, I never got any good uh, credit card signup bonuses, I wish, but I, I did something similar with my bank account. So like it was the first day of my freshman year of college. I'm s registering for classes in the gym, going around from table to table, looking at the different opportunities. And along with the different departments, they've got like offers from banks and credit card companies. And there were two, two opportunities to sign up for a bank account. And one bank account, it was the local credit union and you didn't get anything. It was a free checking <laughs> account. That was it. I was like, okay, whatever. Lame. And I go over to the next table and it's the big national bank. And if you sign up for a checking account, you get a free Frisbee, <laughs> free Frisbee. <laughs> The right, Joel, do you want to take back your comment about the pizza being like the worst? <laughs> <laughs> well, and plus I had to pay $5 a month for the account, but I didn't, $5, eh. my parents always paid for their checking account. I was like, oh, whatever. I can pay for my checking account too. So I signed up for the checking account and I'm sure that Frisbee cost them less than $5 back in <laughs> 1987. So <laughs> the first month they made back that whatever the Frisbee cost. And I went out and I tossed the Frisbee on the quad a couple of times and then put it away and never used it again. And I had that bank account. Oh, it's like 15 years, 16 years, something like that, maybe even 17. So I kept paying that $5 a month fee and then it was a $7 a month fee. And then it was an $8 a month fee. I just kept paying it for all those years, all because I wanted a free Frisbee that wasn't really free. So JD, you mentioned, okay, you mentioned kind of getting a plan together, right? Like you reached a point in your life when you, you were basically tired of, of missing payments. You were tired of bounced checks. What did that specifically look like for you to put together that plan? And, and why was that plan so important for you as you move towards eliminating your debt? So I don't want to, first of all, I don't want to make it sound like the way I did it is the right way. In fact, it's probably only right for me. So... <laughs> I'm laughing because it's kind of a weird TMI type story. <laughs> I like to take baths, okay? And uh, my then wife and I, we had bought this gigantic clawfoot bathtub. So I, we, we both like to take baths. And I was taking a bath and I was reading a, a, a book. Um, what was it called? Ah, it doesn't matter what it's called. I was, reading, I was reading a money book and I just got this inspiration. Like this was 2004 when I was deep, deep in debt. I got this inspiration. I'm like, oh my God, I could do these things and I could get out of debt. So I got out of the bathtub. I didn't even towel off. I went in <laughs> dripping wet into the dining room table and I sat down there naked with a pen and paper. There's pen and paper at the table. Oh, that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> it is. And I, I, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I had been reading Dave Ramsey by then and I, I had... Uh, bought into his version of the debt snowball, uh, which is where you pay the low balances first. Uh, there are other versions of the debt snowball, but that, that's the Dave Ramsey version. 
when, when you pay off the load balances first, you're knocking out debts as quickly as possible, just getting rid of the small debts. Anyway, I sat down and I wrote out, okay, what are the balances on my different credit cards? What are the balances on my car loan? How much do I owe my mom? What do I need to do to get out of debt? And so I wrote it all down and I formulated this plan. And this was October, 2014. Finally, I got dressed, got my computer, typed it into a text document, not a, not a Microsoft Word document. It was a text document. I did the math and I saw that I could be debt-free by December, 2017. It was going to be 39 months. And so I just, that text document became my roadmap. And believe it or not, it was exactly to the month, 39 months, it took me to get out of debt from the time I decided to follow that plan. And so that plan was kind of like your guiding light for, for every single one of those 39 months, I gather. Yeah. And the important thing to know is I, there were times I messed up. There's no doubt. I, I made some mistakes. And so I had to fall behind. But there were some months where I was like, oh my gosh, I made so much extra this month. I can pay extra on my debts. And so even though I didn't follow it like to the letter, I just, that, that map was always there. It's kind of like if you're going to, you're driving from Portland to Atlanta and you're, you've got a, a route mapped out, but you're like, oh, well, I'm supposed to go through Denver, but I'd rather go down through Santa Fe. And so you go down to Santa Fe and then you cut over to New Orleans instead of going through uh, Topeka or something. I still managed to make it work. I got there in 39 months, even though it wasn't exactly the way I had planned it. Well, I'm not sure why you're avoiding Topeka, JD. It's a great, it's a great town. Okay? Um, but no, I think, no, you make a great point. And I think it's really important too, because there's a, there's a lot of folks, especially like in our Facebook group, so many times people ask the question like, Hey, how do I get back on track after, you know, a big snafu after an unexpected expense that I, I wasn't, you know, I hadn't planned for. And that can be a really tough thing. And I think having that plan and knowing that you can hop back on or take a different route and still get to that end goal is so helpful, so important. And it's something we have to mention because that's just a common human experience, right? A common money experience for all of us as we're you know, headed towards, towards that final goal that we're, that we're aiming for. All right, we've got so many more questions for JD, including actually, we don't really talk about politics on the podcast, but JD just recently wrote about politics inside <laughs> of personal finance. And we have to get to that uh, right after the break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wise friend. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. 
It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Cachava. Just go to Cachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take well the money app Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Joel, so we were just recounting our trip to Scotland. This is the trip that we took this time last year, actually, with some of our friends over the weekend. And one of the highlights from Edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, oh, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, we're back from the break. We're talking with J.D. Roth. Let's, let's talk some, J.D., about your website, your blog. It's called Get Rich Slowly. You know, you just mentioned uh, how you named it. You named it Get Rich Slowly because you're not into uh, getting rich quickly, right? Like there, <laughs> there aren't uh, the, the schemes, you know, like the get rich quick plans. That's, that's not what you're going after. You realize that this is going to be a kind of a long, deliberate process. And you, you named your, your site accordingly. I want to talk about how you sold your blog actually at one point for a, a rather large uh, amount of money. And then you actually ended up buying it back again <laughs> a few years later. But this leads to a couple questions for you. Not many folks experience like a lump sum windfall like that. Right. So do you have any advice for folks who inherit or earn a large sum of money at once? Yes, yes, yes. That, that's a great question. So, so you're right. It, the, the irony of running a site called Get Rich Solely 
is I got rich quickly from it. And th <laughs> that was never my intention. I did not start out with the idea that, oh, I'm going to make big bucks from this. I didn't even, well, I, I knew you could make some spare change from it in 2006. And that, that I, when I started Get Rich Slowly, I thought, oh, maybe I'll make a little bit of extra income to help me pay off debt. But I, I wasn't trying to get rich. And in fact, I didn't even believe it was possible until like a month before I sold the site. But I'd been getting all these emails saying, hey, do you want to sell the site? Do you want to sell the site? And I'm like, what, what is this all about? And I finally decided, okay, I will listen to what they have to say. And turns out people were very serious about buying the site. And so I sold it. I got a large lump sum. I would love to reveal how much it was, but I can't because of a non-disclosure agreement. Oh, you signed one of those NDs. Yes, but <laughs> it, it was a big amount. It was a life-changing amount. And I could have done what many people would do and go out and buy big houses and fancy cars and travel around the world, but I didn't do that. The younger me would have done that 10 years ago, or, or 10 years before this, this, this was in 2009. In 1999, if I had received a huge windfall, I, I would have done dumb things with it. But because I had been reading and writing about personal finance, I knew that wasn't wise. So what I did is I said, okay, I'm going to set aside a certain amount. And what I say in public is you should set aside 5%. So if you get a $100,000 windfall, you should use $5,000 uh, to just spend on whatever you want. And in my case... In 2009, you'll remember this is at the bottom of the uh, financial collapse, basically. I decided to buy some very, very nice furniture, which I still have. It was expensive furniture that was discounted 50% or more. I bought a used Mini Cooper because I had been wanting a Mini Cooper. And I took a vacation to Belize, a nice. small country in Central America. That's what I used the money to splurge on. And then I stuck the rest in just mutual funds. And that's where it's remained ever since. Dang, good time to stash some money in mutual yeah. funds, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, no, I love that rule of thumb to 5% to blow. Because I think sometimes people trying to get their money act together, if they do receive an inheritance or something like that happens and, and money falls into their, to their lap out of nowhere, they, they just have no idea what to do. And some people blow it all. And some people don't give themselves any liberty to have some fun with it. And so... To, to be able to take five or 10% of that windfall and, and use yeah. it in a way, you know, buy a jet ski or whatever it is that you're, <laughs> you're into, I, I think is, is just a good way to go. Well, and I want to say that I brought up the furniture and it kind of sounds silly, but this is, it's stickly furniture. I don't know whether many well, people know like what this that is. sounds like that arts and crafts kind of stuff. It's a arts and crafts time yeah. stuff. It, it's very fancy. And I love having it in my living room. And every time I go in and I sit down in my stickly recliner, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just amazing. And I don't know. It's like this thing that sticks with me and I'm glad that I have it. And I'm glad that I spent that money. So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, if you get a windfall, use a little bit of it, but try to be like thoughtful about what you're blowing it on. Yeah. What is it that's yeah. going to bring you value long-term? Well, JD, and, and the other thing is too, is that you actually like you bought the site back, right? <laughs> like you, you repurchased it. Uh, I would love for you to yes. talk some about that. Like, like why is it that you actually repurchased your own site? Well, okay. So first of all, this is, well, I, I've heard of a number of people doing this. They sell their businesses and then they buy them back. In my case, I won't say that it was the smartest financial decision. It was an emotional decision. And I know that. So the, the people who bought Get Rich Slowly, they did a great job with it for a number of years. But then for whatever reason, 
it became less of a priority priority to them and it started to fall into decline. And I watched it kind of fall into decline. So I contacted them and said, hey, what's going on? Do you have any interest in selling it? And they did. So I bought it back for much less than I had paid for it. Nice. And, uh, but it was, it was still a sizable amount. And again, it, it, I didn't do it as a business decision. I'm glad I did it. I have no regrets, but I did it as an emotional decision because when I sold the site, I sold all the rights to the material that I had produced there. Ah. And now by buying it back, I have the rights to use it again. I can do whatever I want with it. And plus I have the brand back. I, in the interim, it was about eight years, I think, between the time I sold it and the time I bought it back. I had started another site called Money Boss and I liked Money Boss. Money Boss was great, but it wasn't the same as Get Rich Slowly. So there you go. I'm happy yeah. to have bought it back. <laughs> yeah, that's super interesting. All right, all right. Hey, we talk, We said we were going to talk about politics for a second here, J.D. All right, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the politics of personal finance. You took issue recently with a, an article in the Washington Post that was advocating for more politics. We mentioned earlier the conference that we attend almost every year uh, at FinCon. And it's a great conference full. It's money media folks meeting together. And then you wrote a response to that Washington Post article. Can you share your thoughts on why you thought the author of that article was wrong and why you think kind of politics should be left out of these personal finance discussions? Well, I don't think they should be left. I don't think politics should be left out of all personal finance discussions. But I think that there are that there's a time and a place for politics. So the article in question was by a woman named Helene Olin uh, for The Washington Post. And she had attended uh, FinCon and she was disappointed that there wasn't more discussion about politics. And the subtext of the article was that she, she's actually uh, disappointed that there's not more discussion of liberal politics, which is fine. I'm, I'm pretty liberal myself. I get that. But for me, FinCon and conferences like that, they're not a place to talk about politics. They're a place to talk about business. They're a place to talk about personal finance as it applies to everybody. And absolutely, there, there are elements of politics intertwined with personal finance that cannot be extricated from personal finance. But to get into partisan politics at a place like FinCon where you've got 15, no, we, we had 2,500 people this year. And you have 2,500 people who are probably pretty evenly divided, liberal and conservative. I think getting into partisan politics at a conference like this is just a recipe for disaster. At this conference, we all get along. FinCon is universally known as a place where people support each other. The people who've been around for a long time are there to help the people who are new. But if you start introducing things that are divisive, like politics or religion or whatever it might be, I think you're very quickly going to descend into what we have in modern American society, where for whatever reason, neither side is willing to listen to and engage intelligently with the other side. It's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, I appreciated your take on that because I think we see politics invading everything, it, it, almost everything in our lives. There's some sort of political bent to it now, and it is just refreshing to be in a space. It's refreshing for us to create a podcast where none of that stuff enters in because so often, even in the world of personal finance, there's politics inside of it. And so it's good to be able to, to have a political free space because it feels like there's almost no 
place where you can have, where you can be politically free in this day and age in our country. Yeah. And the thing of it is, I'm not opposed to people who want to be political, whether they're conservative or liberal. That's all great. But for me, these are very deep, nuanced conversations that require the kind of conversation we're having now, for example, or face-to-face conversation. It's not something you can do over social media in 140 characters. (laughs) It's not something you can do from the stage or a platform at a conference where you're speaking and nobody else gets to reply. These are conversations to be had with friends and family members or uh, just small groups at a conference, perhaps, where you can have the nuance and you can listen to somebody who, for example, I'm from Portland. Let's just be clear. I'm from Portland. In Portland, we have a very specific way we think, most of us. (laughs) And if I'm having a conversation with somebody who disagrees with me, it's going to go much better and we're going to have a much richer conversation if we're able to stop and listen to the other person, if we're able to relate to the person as an individual. And that's very difficult to do through a newspaper column or through Twitter or through Facebook or at a conference like FinCon. Yeah, a a conversation is is just so important there. You know, that you can stand up on stage and I think everybody would agree, right? To like the the universal truth of compound interest (laughs) and like how that works. But someone were someone to get up there and talk either for or against universal income. Well, like, yeah, that's that's going to be something that uh, is going to divide folks. (laughs) Well, and and FinCon has done a good job. I think there's actually been a universal basic income uh, session at FinCon. But it was it it, it was a factual session. It was not like pro or con. It was like, this is what the concept is. And this is how it may or may not work for people. Yeah, like there's certainly bigger economic problems, right? That personal finance advice can't solve like in and of itself. But like where Mm -hmm. in your mind, JD, is the dividing line between looking at bigger systemic issues versus taking matters into our own hands? Oh, that's a great question. So so first of all, I want to be very clear. There are absolutely systemic issues that hold people back. And I don't want to pretend that there are not. There are systemic issues that have been around for well, 150, 100, race is a very real issue in the United States. And it's not a solved problem. We Sometimes we want to pretend that it is. It's not. All the same, it doesn't matter what the system is like at this very moment. On an individual level, whoever you are, if you want to improve your life, it is up to you to improve your life. You cannot wait for the system to improve. You cannot wait for the government to implement better policies. You cannot wait for your church to help you out. You have got to take charge of your own life. You've got to say, it's up to me. And then you've got to make the decisions and take action as best you can within the system that you're involved in. Because I know that some people are in places where it's much more difficult to take action, but it doesn't matter. You've got to take what action you can. And if the particular area you're in is screwed up and is especially holding you back, move. For me, I'm all about individual agency, regardless of how bad the overall big picture is. Yeah, you actually just 
it was yesterday, maybe you, you posted a, uh, you just recently posted an article about personal agency on, on your blog. And, and I thought it was, mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. We'll link to that article in the show notes. And JD, back in the, in the past, you actually, you've written about the stages of financial freedom. And I think that's so helpful too, as, as someone is able to see what's in their control and then see what, what the stages look like. I think oftentimes we think about our finances as if we're in one spot, we're either stuck there or we're looking to get somewhere, but we don't see the path along the way. And mm-hmm. your article, the way you've been able to talk about the stages of financial freedom have been so helpful to people. Uh, and so, yeah, can you tell us why thinking about financial freedom in these kind of stages can can help people in a way that's like practical and not overwhelming? Yeah. So nowadays in uh, we're in 2019 right now i don't know if it'll be 2019 when this comes out or 2020 (laughs) (laughs) it'll be 2019 don't you worry all right excellent so in 2019 the financial independence movement is very popular and financial independence in most people's minds is the point at which you have enough saved that you could live on your investments for the rest of your life without working if you did not want to For a lot of people, this seems like an unattainable goal to have so much saved that you never have to work again. Wow, that's amazing. But here's the thing. I believe financial freedom, financial independence exists along a continuum. It's not just, oh, I'm in debt or, oh, I have enough saved that I can quit my job or I can quit my job and never have to work again. There are all sorts of steps along the way. And... I've experienced these steps myself, and that's how I know they exist. So let me give you an example. So I say that if you are in debt and if your lifestyle depends on other people for support, meaning uh, your parents or your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your credit card company, if you're using other people's monies to finance your lifestyle, you don't have any financial freedom at all. You are essentially a slave. You're a slave to other people because they're the ones supporting your lifestyle. But as soon as you are able to meet your financial commitments without outside help, which means basically that you are earning more than you're spending, or maybe think of it like you're earning a profit, like a business earns a profit. Once you're earning a profit, you've reached the first stage of financial freedom. And it might seem silly, but even just having $5 more than you're spending every month, you're bringing in $5 more than you're spending. Even that little amount provides you with some degree of financial freedom. And that $5 more per month will eventually allow you to pay off your debt. So for me, the next stage of financial freedom is actually doing that, paying off your consumer debt, paying off your credit cards, paying off your car loans. Once you have no debt, and you're continuing to earn more than you spend, you've reached the next stage of financial freedom. And it's just amazing. It's just liberating. And then the third stage of this financial freedom that I'm talking about, well, some people call it FU money. And this is a concept that has been popularized by Jim Collins or JL Collins NH is how he's known online. There's but, a really funny video uh, clip of him. I, I yes. Think, yes. Right? <laughs> talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. He, he Jim Collins has his... Uh, it's the position of FU. I, I don't remember what it's called. You should link to it in the show notes. Man, and he's got like the best voice, by the way. He could. He, oh he really needs to start a podcast. Yeah. So FU money is basically, it's just what it sounds like. It's like you have enough saved that you're able to say, you know what? My job sucks. I don't like my boss. 
F you, I am out of here. And once you've got that much saved, that's another level of financial freedom. And eventually, after you've worked long enough, you've increased your income, you've decreased your spending, you'll have enough saved that you could cover your basic needs for the rest of your life, even if you didn't work again. And it just goes on and on from there. The typical financial independence that we all talk about is supporting your current lifestyle based on how much you have saved. I used to be financially independent. This is something that not a lot of people will talk about. I used to be have this financial independence where I had enough saved and invested to support my current standard of living. But because of some poor investment decisions and because of buying back Get Rich Slowly, I'm back to this more basic level where I could, if I were to cut back to just the bare bones, live in a trailer park, eat on rice and beans, I would never have to work in if I didn't want to. But my current standard of living, I have to learn to earn a little bit of extra income on the side. Yeah, you got to go to those timbers matches. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see, that's why I think in 2021, they're out of here. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, JD, what I love about, you know, what you mentioned there, essentially, you've got these different stages and, you know, you mentioned how it's a continuum, like it just breaks it down into these kind of smaller bite-sized steps. It's, it's just more digestible when you're first starting out in your personal finance journey. It's not either, like you said, you're not either in debt, you know, barely living paycheck to paycheck or, you know, you're financially independent. There's this entire spectrum in between. And I think even, I mean, even just realizing that you're no longer living paycheck to paycheck and instead like you have a little bit of margin in your life, like that, right. like you're, you're working towards financial independence. <laughs> that margin is so important. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. The five bucks is, is a lot more, I mean, that's such a meaningful step. <laughs> if you hit that, uh, when, when before you were negative a hundred, you know, that positive five, that's a, that's a big step and it's something that should be celebrated. Absolutely. And I love, yeah, I love the continuum thought. There's a Charles Dickens quote. I'm not going to be able to get it exactly right off the top of my head, but it'll be easy to Google where he says, uh, basically if you're earning five pounds a year, but you're spending six pounds or five pounds a month and you're earning six pounds a month, the result is misery, even though it's just minus one pound per month. But if you're earning six pounds a month and you're spending five pounds a month, the result is happiness because you're one pound a month in the clear. I'm sure you can find the exact quote. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't take much. <laughs> no, <laughs> to, no. To sway us. So JD, you, you've also talked a good bit about mental health on your site. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm grateful that we have an opportunity to talk with you about that. And we'll, we'll get to that after the break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wise friend. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava 
really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Cachava. Just go to Cachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take well the money app Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Joel, so we were just recounting our trip to Scotland. This is the trip that we took this time last year, actually, with some of our friends over the weekend. And one of the highlights from Edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making (laughs) making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, we're back from the break. We're talking with J.D. Roth, who writes at GetRichSlowly.org. And J.D., I so appreciate the honesty that you bring to Get Rich Slowly. You've been really forthcoming in talking about your mental health on the site, too. So can you kind of tell us how managing anxiety and depression in your life, because it's something that you've talked about freely and you've dealt with for a long time. Well, how has dealing with that and kind of battling with that really changed your life? And, and then we'll, we'll talk about how it affects money, too, in a second. Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I'm not sure how it's changed my life because for, for me, it's, it's been something that has always been a part of my life. I was recently talking with a pair of twins. They were joking. They're like, oh, we always get asked, what's it like to be twins? And they're like, we don't know. What's it like to not be twins? <laughs> we, we don't know anything right. else. And, and so for me, I've always had the depression. I haven't always had the anxiety, but I've always had the depression. 
And so I don't know life without it. I guess I do because like right now I'm going through a period of time where I'm not experiencing the depression. I know that for me, it tends to come on March, April, May, June. Those four months are just miserable. So I guess I, I'm kind of lying to you. I'm fibbing to you when I don't, when I say I don't know what it's like, but it is something that's just always a part of my life. And a lot of times people think depression is like this dark, dark mood, this dark, dark place. And there's elements of that, but it's more like a general numbness. It's just this, you don't care about anything. And that's what sucks is because, for example, I love the Portland Timbers or I love Taylor Swift or I love whiskey and beer. But when I'm depressed, I don't love any of those things. I just don't mm. care. So for me, one of the issues I've had, I think, throughout my life is when I'm going through the depressed stages, I have a tendency to want to spend money to try to like feel something, to feel some pleasure. So I'll in the spring when I'm going through this, I'll be like, oh my gosh, what can I do? It, it, well, let us let me put it this way. My spending on Amazon, if you compare my spending on Amazon in the first half of the year versus the second half, it's like, I'm not joking. It's like 10 times more in the first half of the year wow. than the second half of the year. Because I'm trying to spend, I don't know, because I think that buying is going to make me feel better. It doesn't, but I think it will. Man, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, JD. Um, yeah. And I know, right, that you're not alone. I think a lot of people are anxious in particular when it comes to like their finances as well, right? And so whether it be not making enough money or, you know, if they know maybe that their spending is is out of control or maybe mm-hmm. they, they've got fears associated with investing in the market. Do you have any like recommendations for folks, anything specific for folks to kind of combat that anxiety? When it comes to investing or? Just kind of that general money anxiety. Sometimes it, it, it comes out in the form of like, I'm so anxious. I don't know that I can put money in the market. I know that like, you know, financial wisdom says that it's the right move to make, but I'm too anxious about the possibility of losing 50% of my money or, you know, for other people. I mean, it's all these ways that it can play out these money anxieties. So there are a couple things to think about here. So first of all, I think it's very important to never make big financial decisions when you're under the sway of strong emotions. And if you're feeling anxious, and I do struggle with the anxiety too, if you have the anxiety and it's active, you should not be making financial decisions. Put them off. It's okay to sit out on the sidelines and say, you know what? I recognize that I'm not in a good place right now. I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to buy a house. I'm not going to buy a car. If you're feeling anxious about it, don't do it. It's okay. But at the same time, it's very important to educate yourself, to seek out reliable sources of information to help alleviate some of this financial anxiety. So using the example of investing, investing can seem very intimidating. And there's what I call the financial industrial complex that has been built up to try to convince you that, oh, you need help. You can't invest on your own, even though you can. There's all this stuff that helps create this anxiety or exacerbate the anxiety. And I think if you educate yourself, read books like J.L. Collins' uh, book, The Simple Path to Wealth, or read Your Money or Your Life, or read uh, Dave Ramsey's The Total Money Makeover. These books will help you see other people who have like succeeded with money, succeeded with getting out of debt, 
succeeded with investing. And I don't know, for me, with my own anxiety, the reading and like hearing this stuff over and over and over again is very helpful. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, the reinforcement. And I mean, that's part of the reason that we we started this podcast. Matt and I were into talking about money, but it's also this, it's this beautiful thing where if we get together twice a week to talk about it and have a beer, it's it, <laughs> it, it, it builds us up to to do better and to continue going forward because it's easy to get discouraged and it's easy to yeah. kind of fall off the wagon and say, you know what, I'm 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 not going to do that anymore. And that's what we want the this podcast space to be for listeners. We want it to be an encouragement. We want it to be a place where people are like, you know what, it's fun, it's lighthearted, it's a great place where I can turn for advice, and they want to keep coming back. And in my mind, that's what your blog is, and that's what we hope this podcast is for people that that it's a place uh, where they can keep coming back and then continue to get reinforced on those good habits. Because mm-hmm. I completely agree, it's it's so easy to to uh to kind of fall completely off the wagon and forget all about it you know and, and especially after a mistake right yeah exactly oh <laughs> yes the, the mistakes can be so disheartening and you hear a lot of times about the similar similarities between personal finance and uh, fitness and a lot of people want to poo poo that and say oh that's overblown it's not really overblown as somebody who struggles with his physical fitness and who has struggled with finances in the past, I firmly believe there's a great deal of similarity between uh, finance and fitness. And for me, if, if when I'm trying to lose weight, if I mess up one day, if I go out and I have a burger and fries and a couple of beers, I'm like, oh man, well, you can't just stop worrying about your fitness. That doesn't mean it's, you're done with it. And, and the same is true with your personal finances. If you go out... And uh, I don't, I don't know what a splurge would be. You, you go buy a Nintendo Switch or whatever. Well, <laughs> ah, that doesn't mean you're like you should just give up and say, "Oh, I screwed up this one time. I'm done. I'll never succeed with money." That, that's not how it works. You made one mistake. Okay, you made that mistake. Time to move on. Continue working toward being better with your money. And it's just important not to let the momentary lapses get you down. Yeah, JD, what this reminds me of too is kind of going back to earlier when we were talking about politics uh, and personal finance and and mm-hmm. how like, we're kind of drawn to the individual nature of it. I think that's a huge reason why we enjoy, why we are drawn to personal finances because it's something that kind of comes down to us. Like in the end, it does come down to what are we going to do next? Like what, like, yeah, you, you know, you messed up, but what's the next step that you are going to take? Because it comes down to you and what you're going to do. And I think that's why personal finance is also like really gratifying and rewarding, you know, from, from the standpoint of, you know, a writer for, you know, for you and, you know, we've got the podcast here. That's incredibly gratifying for us to hear from our listeners. And I know you hear from countless uh, readers of your blog mm-hmm. that's kept up with you over the years to see how they have, you know, had their lives completely changed and impacted by uh, your writing. And, you know, we're, we're starting to realize that a little bit as well with the podcast. And that's just one of the things that we love about personal finance. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Matt and Joel, one thing I would say, I think one of the reasons that Get Rich Slowly has been so successful over the years is because it focuses on story instead of focusing on facts. Mm-hmm. The, fa- the facts are important. The math is important. You can't be successful with money unless you understand the math and uh, the basic financial literacy. But the stories, I think, are what resonate with people, the successes and the failures. And so what you're doing by helping 
me tell my story, helping other people tell their stories. I, I think this is so important. And it's something that's missed in the mainstream media is these stories really can help a wide group of people see what is it really like to manage money successfully and sometimes unsuccessfully so that you improve your financial situation gradually over time. Yeah, I mean, anybody can go to the IRS website and see the amount of money you can contribute to an HSA and see its tax advantages. But who does that? Like who goes to the IRS website and nerds <laughs> out on that? What they need is a JD Roth or, or a Matt and Joel to help them see how glorious it can be through personal human interaction, right? And so I agree. Like, exactly. Th there's countless resources out there, but how can you communicate it in a way that's effective and that actually helps people to take action? Because ultimately it's the action that's going to, to lead to people changing their lives for the better, especially when it comes to money. Absolutely. Action is all that matters. I, I'm such a strong believer in action, not words. I mean, you can talk all you want, but if you don't take action, what does it matter? It doesn't matter what you believe if you're not putting those words into action. Yeah, I agree. All right, JD, last question for you. We mentioned at the beginning of the show that you are a big Taylor Swift fan. He's a Swifty. Ah. <laughs> He's a Swifty. And I am a huge Ryan Adams fan until, by the way, all that stuff came out about him and his personal life. That made me really sad. But I've been a big Ryan Adams fan for like my whole life. And so as a big Taylor Swift fan, I have to know, did you like the Ryan Adams cover of her album, 1989? Does this even exist? Oh my God, look, 2015, I'm Googling everybody. Oh, you don't know about this. this. <laughs> no, holy <laughs> moly. Well, I guess I know what I'm doing tonight. Yeah. <laughs> All right, get holy back to us crap. and let us know. Yeah, it's, yeah wow. it's really good. You ought to check it out. Wow, I even li I like Ryan Adams too. Wow, okay, I'm going to check this out. It was released just three months after Taylor Swift released her version of 1989. Yeah. So it's like, wow, this I is think crazy. he was so obsessed with it. How could he not be? I it's know. one of the greatest albums of all time. <laughs> well, we know you're a true oh, Swifty. That has been made awesome. clearly apparent. So uh, yeah, we appreciate that, man. And so we really appreciate your time. This has been such an excellent conversation. Thank you so much for joining us oh, on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been great, Matt and Joel. Yeah, thanks, J.D. All right, Matt, I really, really enjoyed that conversation with JD. He's been an accidental personal finance expert for a ton of years now, uh, but doling out really, really good financial advice. And, and so, yeah, that was a great conversation. I want to know, what was your big takeaway from this combo? Yeah, man, for me, I was glad that we were able to, to talk about uh, depression. This is something that JD deals with. And so my takeaway essentially is that when you're dealing with depression, right, or if you have some anxiety, uh, it's just really good to remind yourself not only of the truths of personal finance, but of the different stories that are out there of people who have overcome the folks who are winning, the, the folks who are doing smart things with their money. I just see that as such a great way to, to be reminded and to be encouraged when you don't have the, the brightest outlook when it comes to not just your money, but even your life. And JD has even mentioned how he has turned to consumption in the past, right? To, to get Amazon him, specifically. Yeah, exactly. To, to get him through those rough patches and how that doesn't work. But in a sense, like you are consuming when you listen to these stories or you read these books where you know that there are financial truths in those books. It's important to be reminded of those things when you're going through those rough times. Yeah, I love that he opened up about that. I thought in particular when he said don't make financial decisions 
while you're dealing with financial anxiety, that was so helpful because if you can just put that decision off while you're kind of going through some of that turmoil, it can help you avoid making a really bad decision. Give some time for your mind to clear. That's huge. And I think my big takeaway from this episode, besides that, Matt, was was really to beware of free stuff. When someone's trying to give you something free, <laughs> whether it's a pizza or a Frisbee, oftentimes there are things attached to that. And so you just need to be careful while you're out there, especially when you're dealing with financial products. If someone's offering you something for free, you want to make sure to, to read the type, read the reviews, uh, see what's kind of going on underneath the hood before you sign on the dotted line and take that credit card or whatever, because there are probably better offers out there. And so, yeah, you just want to be informed before you make a decision based on getting stuff for free. Are you saying that to kind of remind yourself when you were kind of going through the different conferences or the different festivals when they've got all the booths set up? I know you love all those all those freebies. <laughs> I like some freebies. <laughs> I like some tchotchkes from time to time. But if I got to sign my name somewhere in order to get it, I want to make sure that I'm not making an ill-informed, you know, impulsive decision. Gotcha. There you go, man. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to our beer for this episode. We drank Gold, which is a beer by St. Archer Brewing Company. Uh, we're thankful for the folks out there for sending this one our way. Joel, what were your thoughts on this beer? Yeah, we don't drink many lagers on the show, so we are super stoked to get to, to feature one today. And this is a light lager. This is a light <laughs> lager, which for all the folks that are drinking kind of the macro light lagers, this is just a nice craft alternative to those. And it's not something I typically have in my fridge because... I don't care about calories. I care way more about taste personally, but I know other people, they factor in calories to their drinking decisions. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was refreshing. It was it was light. It was just honestly like a perfect lawnmower beer. Like after I'm yeah. done mowing the lawn and I want something that I can just take down pretty quickly, but that tastes good. That still has some flavor going on, even though it's kind of light in body. This is the kind of beer I would turn to. So yeah, you would find me drinking this beer like July, August, typically, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad to have this time of year, though. But yeah, for me, it was a really bright, kind of bright and airy beer. It also had sort of like a light breadiness to it. I think a lot of times when you are drinking a, a lighter beer like this, like a light lager, you tend to taste you know, more of like some, some of the wheatier notes like that versus you know some of the hoppier notes because... They don't typically load these kind of beers up with hop flavor. Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice from time to time to switch it up and have a, a different kind of beer with a, a different flavor profile like this. I will mention too, it's, it's kind of in one of those tall skinny cans. And so it's reminiscent of some other, like you said, macro breweries who also pay attention to the amount of calories and carbs uh, in their specific beer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I feel like I'm getting skinnier just by looking at it, honestly. So, <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, well, that's going to do it for the show today. And if folks want the show notes for this episode, well, you can find those on our website, howtomoney.com. We'll have specific links to, to some of those Get Rich Slowly resources and some of those articles that we talked about on the show today. Yeah, Joel, that's right. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review over there if you have not already. And regardless where you're listening, uh, we would love for you to hit subscribe if you haven't already. That way you never miss a new episode. All right. Now let's all go listen to that Ryan Adams cover of Taylor Swift's 1989 <laughs> and just feel good about life. It's pretty good. All right, Matt. Until next time, best friends best out. Best friends out. Make you love me more. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 